President Trump facing his biggest test yet. The lead starts right now. Boiling tensions between the United States and Iran. An American drone shot down. President Trump teasing a possible counterattack. And an Iranian military commander sending a chilling warning. The debate over going to war, exposing a divide inside the West Wing. What sources are saying about who has the president's ear at this most critical time. Plus, the Biden backlash. Joe Biden today defending comments about segregationist senators with 2020 Democrats about to face a major test with African-American voters in the heart of the old Confederate South. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with breaking news in our world lead. President Trump saying today that the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war with Iran, saying the regime made a very big mistake shooting down a U.S. military surveillance drone like the one you see on your screen at 4.05 a.m. Iranian time over the Strait of Hormuz. Take a look at this map. Iran says the U.S. drone violated its airspace, and they claim they shot down the drone right off its coast. U.S. officials counter that claim. They call it categorically false. They say the drone was shot down in international airspace south and to the west. Right now, top congressional leaders are in the Situation Room at the White House being briefed. This all coming as the Pentagon is deploying an additional 1,000 troops to the region as a deterrent against what the Trump administration calls increased Iranian aggression. We have this story covered from the White House to the Capitol to the streets of Tehran. We're going to begin with Barbara Starr at the Pentagon. Barbara, what type of military options is the Pentagon considering? Well, Jake, right now the Pentagon has been focused on defense and deterrence against Iran. But at this hour, all of that could change. Murky new video released by the Pentagon of a U.S. Navy drone being shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile may be the moment that changes everything. It's hard to make out, but the smoke plume is visible as the drone falls into the waters of the Strait of Hormuz. This map showing the missile launched from the Iranian coastline more than 20 miles away from the drone, according to the Pentagon. Iran's Revolutionary Guard releasing its own video showing what it says is the moment of the shootdown. When asked about a U.S. military response, President Trump playing his cards close to the vest in the initial hours. Now, Iran made a big mistake. Military commanders behind the scenes are not looking for a march to war, but they are not excusing the attack, highlighting the international nature of the Iranian threat. This was an unprovoked attack on a U.S. surveillance asset that had not violated Iranian airspace at any time during its mission. But Iran claims the American drone was in Iranian airspace and had its own dire warning. We have no intention to fight with any countries, but we are completely ready for war. What happened today was an obvious sign of this accurate message. Tensions have been rising for weeks. In early May, the Pentagon sent an aircraft carrier strike group, Patriot missile defenses, and fighter jets in the wake of intelligence the U.S. said showed Iran was planning an attack. Then, Iran is believed to have attacked commercial tankers last month and again last week, using mines to leave gaping holes, leading to another 1,000 troops being sent for further deterrence of Iran. 
Now, if there's a determination that this deterrence strategy just is not working, what is the next step? The question is, is, is there a limited type of military strike you could take against Iran without it leading to all-out war? Jake. All right, Barbara, start at the Pentagon. Let's go now to Tehran. CNN's senior international correspondent Fred Pleitkin is on the ground in the Iranian capital. Fred, how are the Iranians responding to this threat from President Trump? Hmm. Well, the Iranians are certainly saying that they're not going to back down. And I think the Iranians also very clearly heard some of the words that President Trump was saying, essentially indicating that he thinks that it might have been a mistake on the part of the Iranians that this drone was shot down. But the Iranians are very clearly saying, no, this was not a mistake. If you look at here, some of the voices that are on that video that was just in Barbara's report, those are not the kind of guys who think they've just made a mistake. And the Iranians essentially are saying they believe that this drone was in their own territorial airspace and that's why they shot it down. If you look at Iran's foreign minister, for instance, Jake, he's now getting involved in this. He even put out coordinates of where he said that this drone was shot down. That puts it about nine miles off Iran's coast. And so the Iranians are saying that they had every right to shoot this drone down. At the same time, a dire warning coming from uh, the Iranians to the U.S. The Iranians saying this is what Iran does with its enemies and essentially saying, yes, this was a clear message to the United States that if it gets too close, this is what the Iranians are going to do. And of course, Jake, all of this comes as the tensions here have been boiling over and continue to boil over. And one of the things that the Iranians have been telling us again and again and again is that if this escalates, Jake, they say the, the Americans are not only going to be facing Iran's regular military, but all of its proxy forces in the region as well, Jake. All right. Fred Pleitkin in Tehran, Iran. Thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss this is Democratic Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland. He serves on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Senator, um, have you been briefed on the latest intel on the shootdown of the drone? Is there definitive proof that it was shot down where the Pentagon says it was shot down as opposed to where the Iranians say it was shot down? Well, Jake, it's good to be with you. We were briefed this week before the drone was shot down in the situation with Iran. There's no question that Iran is the bad actor. They're the ones doing these things that are against international norms, violating international agreements. But the tensions couldn't be higher, and the chances of a miscalculation are very, very high. It's our responsibility to try to calm things down. Uh, the Trump policies have sort of heated things up, and now the, the, the danger point is even greater than it was before. But clearly, the, Iran's the bad actor. We've got to try to re-engage the international community to isolate Iran uh, rather than isolate America. So you, you think the U.S. should respond diplomatically and not militarily? Is that what I'm hearing you saying? Uh, further isolation uh, uh, diplomatically and economically? Yeah, I think militarily would be a mistake. Uh, there is no such thing as a, a limited military response right now that could not be uh, used as justification to escalate a military conflict in the region. Uh, that's not in the United States' interest. Senator, uh, the Iranians have made it very clear that this was not a mistake, that they shot down this drone on purpose. But take a listen to President Trump earlier today suggesting that maybe this was all just a mistake. I have a feeling that... It was a mistake made by somebody that shouldn't have been doing what they did. I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid. What's going on there? Is there any evidence you've seen this was a mistake? Do you think the president is trying to provide the Iranians and perhaps himself with an out? Why say that this was a mistake when it clearly wasn't? 
that may be the case. I think the concern here is that there will be a miscalculation, and a miscalculation can lead us into an unnecessary military conflict. So I hope what the president was saying, let's find a way that we can calm things down. No, we're not going to back away from Iran's uh, actions have to be uh, t changed. They cannot continue to support terrorism. They, they can't, can't uh, develop their nuclear programs. We need to get back to diplomacy in order to accomplish that, and we need to have the support of our traditional allies. Is there a way to retaliate against Iran militarily, not economically or diplomatically, but militarily, without the risk that it devolves into a full-scale war resulting in attacks against U.S. forces stationed throughout the region and, and thousands of innocent people killed. Jake, please understand that the sanctions that we've imposed against Iran are powerful. It's affecting their daily lives. It's much more effective than using our military, which only leads to additional military actions. So to me, the proper response is to isolate Iran Sanctions help us do that, getting uh, on the same page as our traditional allies, getting the international community to recognize that Iran's activities and now threats in regards to nuclear programs are against international norms. Let's try to get back to the type of coalition we had before uh, in isolating Iran. The White House said there was recent intelligence showing the possibility of Iran using proxy forces to attack U.S. interests in the Middle East what can you tell us about that? Is that Iran planning to use proxies to kill American soldiers in Iraq? What, what, what did that intelligence suggest? Well, traditionally, it's been Iran supporting proxy forces. that They help uh, groups in different parts of the world, including in Iraq, including in Syria, that are including certainly in, in Yemen, which are against our interests. It'd be rare to see those assets being used uh, against America other than in the theaters in which they're operating currently. So I, I think it's more the fact that Iran supports these groups than these groups are supporting Iran. Senator Ben Cardin uh, of Maryland, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, sir. Good to be with you. Right now, the White House is briefing top lawmakers, Democrats on Republicans, on what they call an escalating threat from Iran. We could hear from them in moments. Stay with us. This, as President Trump seems to be putting more distance between himself and his Secretary of State and National Security Advisor on the matter of Iran. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Uh, loose and stupid. Our politics lead now asked whether or not there will be war with Iran after the Iranian military shot down a U.S. drone. President Trump said today, you'll find out. Today, in the Oval Office, the president said Iran made a, quote, big mistake. And then he seemed to almost be providing an out for the regime and maybe himself, adding that he believes the move was, quote, unintentional. The Iranian government, however, has made it very clear that it was fully intentional, since they say the drone was flying into Iranian airspace, a claim that the Trump administration says is patently false. CNN's Abby Phillip now reports on the apparent divide between President Trump and some of his own advisors. Now, Iran made a big mistake. As tensions with Iran reach a fever pitch, President Trump meeting with the Canadian Prime Minister and sounding a very different tone than his military and diplomatic advisors, calling Iran's downing of a U.S. drone a mistake. I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid that did it. As for how the U.S. might respond, the president saying, wait and see. How will you respond? You'll find out. Earlier, Trump huddled with national security and military advisors about the incident as defense and State Department officials briefed lawmakers on Capitol Hill. 
One Trump ally who spoke with him earlier today is urging the president to take action. I would encourage forceful action to stop this behavior before it leads to a wider conflict. Doing nothing has its own consequence. If you do nothing, the Iranians uh, see us as weak. But a short time later, Trump emphasized that this attack did not cause death or injury to U.S. personnel. We had nobody in the drone. It would have made a big difference, let me tell you. This coming after sources told CNN the president had privately downplayed last week's attack on oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman, which his military leaders say Iran was behind because they did not involve U.S. ships. Today, as his hawkish secretary of state and national security advisor looked on, Trump denying that he's being pushed into conflict. What, do you think there are members of your administration who are trying to push you into conflict? No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, in many cases, it's the opposite. But I will say, look, I said I want to get out of these endless wars. I campaigned on that. But with Iran's provocations increasing, the president acknowledging that this attack may change his calculus. This is a new wrinkle. This is a new fly in the ointment, what happened shooting down the drone. And uh, this country will not stand for it. That I can tell you. And while President Trump is largely surrounded by advisors who are more hawkish than he is, uh, the president is being pushed more toward military action by his national security advisor, John Bolton. He is resistant to it. And a senior diplomatic source tells CNN that Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, is acting as a triangulator, trying to reestablish deterrence as a policy. But again, Jake, it is not clear if that is going to continue to work at this point. All right, Abby, at the White House, thank you so much. Joining me now is Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling, who's the former Army Commanding General of the Europe and 7th Army, and Robin Wright, who is a USIP Wilson Center Distinguished Fellow and a leading expert on Iran. General, let me start with you. Um, assuming that the goal is to avoid war with Iran, how does the United States deal with the fact that the Iranians shot down a drone? It's going to be very complex uh, and very complicated to figure that out, Jake. And, and many of us have been concerned that the president and his administration have not yet faced this level of crisis before that requires a process to get all the thoughts together in one room and to determine the right course of action. You've got to have experts and uh, you can't just rely on advice from friends and politicians and uh, and talk show hosts. You've really got to get the experts in the room to tell you what's going on and what the potential repercussions are. Uh, I haven't heard a whole lot of talk about uh, advice from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs who has the war plans and the contingency operations and what might be done. Uh, all I've heard about so far on air is about the competing demands of, of the war hawks versus the peaceniks within the administration pushing the president one way or another. Mm -hmm. That's not the way to do a process to develop a strategy for Iran. And, and Robin, we put a, we showed a map earlier on the show showing the different places where the Pentagon and the Iranians, there, there's the map right there, say the drone went down. Now, the Iranian foreign minister of Iran uh, sent out a tweet saying the U.S. drone took off from the UAE in stealth mode and violated Iranian airspace. It was targeted at 405 at the coordinates near Kui Mubarak. We've retrieved sections of the U.S. military drone in our territorial waters where it was shut down. He also sent out the actual coordinates, which is how we got that. Um, I guess the question is, in the United States, there's an inclination to believe our Pentagon uh, over anyone else. But in the world, when they look at the Iranians saying one thing and the Trump administration saying another, who do they believe? 
Well, this is one of the problems that came up after the tanker strikes and the sense that America has a problem with its own credibility dating back to the Iraq war, that the intelligence community has not always interpreted the right data. There have been incidents when uh, ships in the Gulf, sailors have strayed into Iranian waters and there was dispute over where, at, where they were actually. It turned out they were in Iranian waters. I think the international community, the United Nations, will be asking for the evidence to make sure this is, this is what happened because uh, that was very specific intelligence. Uh, indeed. Uh, listen to Trump uh, earlier, the President Trump earlier today, General. Let's just see what happens. You just let's see what happens. It's all going to work out. Mark, the, the president says the national security crisis is, is going to work out. Do you agree? Uh, I don't. Uh, not without some hard work behind it. This is not a reality show or a teaser moment, Jake. This is something that requires some good hard work, some diplomatic action, some information. Your comment to Robin just a second ago about how we are perceived right now on the world stage. We are not being as transparent as we should be. We are not using the power of information. We are not using our allies to help us on this. We are reacting uh, in a knee-jerk reaction format. And that's unfortunate. We are not trusted as much as we were recently uh, in other administrations. And you can say the Pentagon can be believed or not. The press briefing this afternoon was not a good one. It was not transparent or candid. And we did not give information that we should be taking to international bodies like the UN and our allies. We're not doing that. And it's going to hurt us. There's there's a price to pay when you're not uh, when you're when you don't when you're not considered to have integrity or truthfulness on the world stage. And Robin, I know you're concerned that the hawks that are pushing President Trump to do something, to respond, to show Iran they can push us around, that they don't have an end game in mind. Uh, I think the, the, there's a real danger that some kind of retaliation, whether it's for the drone or the tankers, might lead into something wider. And there's a real concern that we, the administration knows what it w wants Iran not to do, but has it figured out a way to get to a place that de-escalates, that gets everybody back to the table, and that ends these core disputes, whether it's over yeah. the nuclear program, intervention in the Middle East, missile strikes, uh, human rights, that there are a whole range of issues that are still out there with Iran. And this endangers us going into what is a conflict that is uh, open-ended, that we would technically win in terms of reducing Iran's military capabilities, but they still have, you know, on a range of proxy militias across the region that could strike at American interests, American targets, long after any war actually ended. So that this is something that could end up being one small incident opens up into something that's much longer, much more complicated, and begins to look more like the long-term uh, confrontations in Iraq or Afghanistan. Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, said this would be a bigger mistake than the Iraq war. Lieutenant General Mark Hurdling, Robin Wright, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. There's a Trump tweet for it, what he said not, long, not too long ago about going to war with Iran when it was Obama's time in the White House. Stay with us. Here's what Iran needs to get ready for. Severe pain inside their country. If uh, there is really a... Um wanting not to go to war, then Iran would have acted differently than it acted. Any response really uh, needs to be uh, ratified by the Congress. We're back with breaking news in the world lead. Mixed opinions on Capitol Hill about how to respond after Iran shut down a U.S. drone. Congressional leaders are currently behind closed doors at the White House getting briefed on the situation. Let's uh, chew over uh, all of this. Uh, you heard there, Caitlin, uh, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham strongly calling the pre president to respond 
Uh, here's a freshman Democrat with a, a different point of view, though no less strong. Do you have any concerns about the handling of Iran right now? Yeah, I think they're trying to goad us into a military conflict that's completely irresponsible. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's not clear if she's talking about that, uh, Iran trying to goad us or Trump trying to goad us. But in 2011, President Trump tweeted, quote, in order to get elected, Barack Obama will start a war with Iran. And today in the Oval Office, Mike Pompeo and John Bolton were standing right there over the president's shoulder when he was asked by a reporter, are your some of your military advisors trying to goad you into conflict with Iran? And he said, no, he thinks it's actually the opposite. So I, as he's saying, maybe he's the one trying that he's pushing harder for it, even though we have reporting that shows the president has actually been very skeptical, skeptical about getting into a conflict with Iran. But, of course, the president made um, a pretty stunning statement in the Oval Office when he said that he believes this could have been essentially a rogue general acting without the orders of the Iranian government that is that shot down this drone. So the president seemed to be minimizing it in a way and giving them leeway, saying that he doesn't believe it was this intentional incitement on their behalf. And David, as somebody who knows the president, can you explain that? Because it's obvious that the Iranians, uh, at least according to their own words, which is all I have to go on, say this was not an accident. This was intentional. It was not a mistake. President Trump saying, I have to believe it was a mistake. Is he trying to give them an out? Is he trying to give well, himself an out? What, I, I, think, I, I think both both things are true, Jake. Right? I think the president is hesitant to engage in, in conflict and any type send you know our, our men and women into harm's way. I think he's trying to give them an out. Although when you see the video of the missile launching and you hear the guys shouting in the background um, pretty gleefully, I think that's kind of Taken off uh, off the shelf as an option, right? That this was a this was a mistake somehow. Right. Clearly indicates seems that they know they're doing. I think the president's give, trying to give himself and, and others a way out. And you know, unfortunately, I think that um, there's going to have to be some response, a measured response. If I were a betting man, I'd bet that there'd be some sort of uh, tomahawk missile strike on a very on the on the site that launched this. Right. It's a very limited response in the, to the missiles that struck this, and not very escalating. You can put a tomahawk missile in a three by three window and you know, mitigate the damage it's done, and it's an appropriate response, and I think would be met with, um, you know, I, I don't want to say uh, met with uh, with approval from from our allies and around the world, but mm-hmm. um, the, the Iranian government has to be checked. You can't be, they can't be looking to, you know, block the Straits of Hormuz and now downing uh, a U.S. military aircraft, which is in international airspace, without without any type of retribution. Madam Mayor, what do you think? Where, where is the public's appetite when it comes to a military conflict with Iran right now? What do you think? I don't think anyone has an appetite for war. That being said, we can't have a president that talks tough all the time and then finds excuses for Iran, which everyone is clear. They said they did it. They did it on purpose. We can't sit back and act like it was anything else but that. I think uh, between the the Russians uh, cutting off our ships with this, you can't allow people to keep poking and poking and poking without having a response. And the challenge is we have... A president who is very heavy handed, you know, he has one tool, it's a hammer, and he thinks everything is a nail. And when the response requires finesse, when it requires a nuance, he's stuck, so stuck that he's willing to give uh, Iran it out. And, and Toulouse, one of the things that's interesting that you heard President Trump say, you know, I ran on the platform of getting us out of these foreign wars, these foreign entanglements. Uh, so he, I mean, I do think that his, his knee jerk response is. I don't want to have another Iraq. Um, and, and yet he also talks tough, as the mayor points out. Yeah, the president's impulse here is to 
have dialogue with Iran. He's been sort of teasing this for the past several months, saying, you know, if, if they want to talk, I'm here. When they're ready to talk, let's have discussions. It's sort of similar to what we saw with North Korea, where the president talked tough for the better part of a year, had all kinds of threats against Kim Jong-un and the North Koreans. But as soon as there was an opening to have discussions and have those discussions broadcast on TV for high ratings, the president jumped at it. And he's been trading love letters with Kim Jong-un since then. <laughs> and I think he's hoping to have a similar outcome with the Iranians. That's why you see him sort of giving them an out, saying maybe this was a mistake, maybe this was someone who was much at, at a much lower level, and sort of keeping the option for dialogue open with the mullahs or anyone in, the, in Iran who might be willing to talk. But so far, we haven't seen any response from Iran that shows that they... And, and he had the Swiss president of the White House, I mean, yeah. the Swiss Federation there to say, no, no more of an overt action can you have by welcoming here, saying, this is a direct channel to the Iranians. Can you please talk to us? And Nothing to date. Everyone stick around. We have more to talk about. No apologies. Joe Biden sticking to his stance regarding controversial remarks about the segregationist senators. And he's getting a surprising supporter. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead today, former Vice President Joe Biden, Biden fending off attacks from his Democratic rivals and fiercely defending his ability to work with anyone, including segregationist senators, ones who didn't call him boy, representing a time of civility. Joe Biden said. As CNN's Arlette Signs now reports, this topic could come up this weekend as every single Democratic presidential candidate, minus one, converges on South Carolina to try to woo African-American voters. As he faces criticism for his comments on working with segregationist senators decades ago, Joe Biden remains defiant and unapologetic. The point I'm making is you don't have to agree you don't have to like the people in terms of their views, but you just simply make the case and you beat them. Biden's team today doubling down. The vice president did not embrace segregationists. He doesn't praise and was not praising segregationists. Biden's initial comments, which included him saying Democratic segregationist Senator James Eastland, quote, never called me boy, he always called me son, set off a firestorm among his 2020 Democratic opponents, prompting Cory Booker to push for an apology. But the former vice president dismissed that demand. Are you going to right, apologize? Thanks, like? Cory Booker apologize has for, for what? Cory Booker's called for it. Cory should apologize. He knows better. There's not a racist bone in my body. I've been involved in civil rights my whole career. Period. 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 Booker told CNN hours later he's not apologizing. What matters to me is that a guy running to be the head of our party, which is a significantly diverse and, and wondrous party, doesn't understand or, or can't even acknowledge that he made a mistake, whether the intention was there or not. Several members of the Congressional Black Caucus, including its chair, say Biden doesn't need to say he's sorry. I certainly wished he wouldn't have used that example. I think there's a lot of other examples of where he has worked in a bipartisan fashion, but I would like to see us move on from there. I don't know what a good an apology would serve. And Biden even getting some help from a Republican senator. Now, I don't want Joe Biden to be president for a lot of reasons. He is my friend. And what he did back then and what he will do in the future is try to find common ground with people he disagrees with. If that can't be done, America's best days are behind us. Nearly every candidate descends on South Carolina tomorrow for the state Democratic Party's convention weekend, which includes a fish fry hosted by Congressman Jim Clyburn. Jake, both Biden and Booker will be on hand. All right. Arlette Sines, thanks so much. Uh, let me start with you, Madam Mayor. W what do you make of this? You, you saw the chairwoman of the Congressional Black Caucus defending 
Joe Biden, but we've heard Cory Booker and others really criticizing him for his remarks about segregationists. I don't have any knock on Senator Booker. He has the right. I'm, he has the right to feel how he wants to feel. If he feels that he needs an apology, that's on him. I know Joe Biden. I've spent time with Joe Biden. I don't believe that he is a racist. I believe that he made a mistake. And I also believe that as Democrats, if we continue to tear each other down for each gaffe, each mistake, we will ensure that President Trump has a second term. I think we have to be very careful about ambition and not letting that um, be the, the, the true north. True North should be getting the White House back. And if we want the White House back, we need to be careful. Biden is an amazing um, politician, public servant. I think he's um, a great addition to the, what is it, 30 now <laughs> candidates that we have 23, I think. running yeah, yeah. Uh, for the Democratic nominee. And um, I, I feel comfortable with what he said. He does have a big target on his back. Even before these comments, you started to see other candidates put uh, his record on on notice and say, we differ from Joe Biden in X, Y, Z ways. We saw that from Beto O'Rourke. We saw that from Bernie Sanders, even Elizabeth Warren willing to break with Joe Biden uh, on his record and on his history and on his policies. And now that he's making gaffes, it makes it even easier uh, on the eve of these debates for these candidates to come out and differentiate from Joe Biden because he's sitting atop the polls. They want to be able to show that if he falters, if he makes a gaffe that is something he can't recover from, that they would be ready to to take his place. David, you've said that you think Biden poses the strongest uh, threat to President Trump. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, although he makes it a little bit less. He, he becomes less and less of a threat each day he continues to make unforced errors like this. Just, you know, you can, you can say I'm going to work across the aisle. Pick Lindsey Graham as, an, as you know, or work with people I don't disagree with. Rand Paul. Don't pick, don't pick two unapologetic racists. There's the, nothing the, wrong about Biden that makes any other candidate better. And that's, no, that's but the, I'm saying, Mr. Mayor, Ms. Mayor, it just it's an unforced error on his part. He it, it, and he just seems out of touch with a, with a, with with the base of your party, who's yeah. very energized and wants to move forward. He keeps Can't looking backwards. His response to Cory Booker was also a little Trumpian, where Cory Booker said he should apologize. And he said, I'm not going to apologize. Yeah. He should apologize. He should apologize. Everyone stick around. CNN next goes to the center of the Ebola outbreak to find out why it's spreading despite a promising experimental vaccine. Stay with us. Our health lead now, some disconcerting signs that lessons health experts thought would prevent another deadly Ebola outbreak are not working. The disease is spreading at an alarming rate. The epicenter, the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. CNN's David McKenzie's there and joins me now. And David, I I thought that health experts thought they'd figured out how to control and stop the spread of Ebola. Jake, that's what people thought. Uh, But the U.S. is stopping America's top scientists from heading into the outbreak zone. We've been there. And what we found is that modern medicine just won't be enough. Dr. Cameron Moday enters this exhausting battleground. Where a transparent barrier isolates a highly contagious Ebola patient from the outside world. His team rushes to stabilize a young woman who lost her baby and her husband to the virus. The death rate in this outbreak, nearly 70%. You know, sometimes you forget, even for myself, this is my third Ebola outbreak, the terror that this strikes into people. When people come here, they feel they might die. In fact, they believe there's a good chance they will. But if they're inside there, they'll be able to see the eyes, the emotions, the care of the doctors, and also for the family members coming in, 
they'll be able to interact with them. They're no longer isolated in the same sense. They call these new units the cube. The family can begin to trust us, says Dr. Modet, because they can see with their own eyes that we are caring for their loved ones. Its design, a hard lesson learned from the 2014 West African epidemic, where Ebola killed more than 11,000. This time around, teams are also armed with an effective, if experimental, vaccine. Advances that meant this outbreak was supposed to be different. It wasn't supposed to last this long or kill so many. Ten months later, it is still spreading. For the vaccine to work, the teams need to be able to reach all of this. But this is Eastern Congo. A region racked by decades of violence, where armed groups continue to thrive in a dysfunctional state. So a mistrusting community is understandable. What's at stake here is whether we can break this transmission or not. If it continues to be interrupted, uh, it's likely that the virus will continue to propagate. And what would that mean for this region, for, for it re- global health? It remains a threat to surrounding provinces. Uh, it remains a threat to surrounding countries. So we cannot, we cannot uh, let it spread. For the spread to stop, Samuel Mutakwa needs to work keeping track of those most likely to become infected. So that's 36.8. Yeah, 28. So that's safe. Yeah, that's safe. But like so many health workers here, Samuel's been threatened, even beaten up, by his terrified neighbours. Sometimes all the world knows is fear, but they don't look at the individual people. We need to treat these patients with empathy, he says. We need to treat them like they're a member of the family. In the nearby crash, Ebola survivors now immune to the disease, like Masima, become family to young babies who wait to see if their infected mothers will live or die. You have a smile on your face. Why do you have a smile on your face? My smile is the joy of being alive, she says. I beat Ebola. I'm smiling to the God who gave me life. Just in the past few days, there's been renewed fighting in this border region. Hundreds of thousands of people, Jake, according to the UN, are on the move. The fear is they could take Ebola with them. Jake? David McKenzie live in the Congo for us. Stay safe. Thank you so much for that excellent report. Coming up, why lawmakers are getting a classified briefing on UFOs. The truth is out there. That's next. In our out-of-this-world lead, E.T. phone Capitol Hill, a group of senators have received a classified Pentagon briefing over reports of UFO sightings by Navy pilots. This just days after President Trump confirmed he has been briefed but remains skeptical. I did have one very brief meeting on it, but people are saying they're seeing UFOs. Do I believe it? Not particularly. But Navy pilots told the New York Times they had multiple encounters with UFOs along the U.S. coast as seen in this video, which bizarrely has no visible engine or exhaust. Joining me now is CNN aviation analyst Miles O'Brien. And Miles, you've been studying space most of your career. What does the fact that the president and lawmakers are being briefed on this say about the possible validity of these UFO sightings by Navy pilots? Well, there's a long history of the military looking into this. You know, one of the big problems, Jake, is it's been overclassified over the years. The secrecy surrounding it all, of course, just adds to all the the rumor mill. 
but I can tell you that you know there are bona fide sightings by people who have great expertise in the air. I actually have seen a UFO up in Maine years ago, an object that flew at incredible speed and seemed to stop in the air. What was that? Was that some sort of secret military program, which might explain all the classification? But I think it's high time to open up all the books on this over the years and see what the military is, has learned, what sorts of programs they had to investigate. Let's see what's going on at Area 51. Let's talk about a, a more uh, better publicized uh, government program. The new CNN film Apollo 11 premieres this Sunday and it features newly discovered footage from that historic mission to the moon. Take a listen to Neil Armstrong coaching Buzz Aldrin on the moment he took his first steps off the spacecraft. How far am I feet from here? Okay, you're right at the edge of the porch. Okay, now I want to uh, back up and partially close the hatch. Making sure not to lock it on my way out. Particularly <laughs> good thought. That's our home for the next couple hours. We want to take good care of it. You're on, you've got three more steps and then a long one. Beautiful view. Isn't that something? Magnificent sight out here. Magnificent desolation. Miles, what is the importance of the Apollo 11 mission 50 years later? Well, you know, it's a piece of history. I often say that it's a piece of 21st century history that was injected into the 20th century by virtue of sheer will and, and a blank checkbook. Uh, the desire to beat the, the Soviets, uh, honoring a martyr president, all that stuff lined up and made this happen, something that was beyond capability, and yet we did it. And watching this movie, uh, Todd Miller has done such a beautiful job in seeing it's beautiful, it's historically important, and it's a reminder of what we can do if we set our minds to it. All right, Miles O'Brien, thank you so much. Appreciate it. The CNN film Apollo 11 airs this Sunday night at 9 o'clock here on CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues in a moment. Thank you so much for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.